Welcome to Hard Truths by Vertex Female Leader Series. This March, in honor of International Women's Day, we have invited a few of our accomplished female leaders and their investment managers to share inspirational stories of starting up, following their passion, and overcoming the odds. Tune in to gain valuable industry insights, practical wisdoms, and hard truths. Hi, I'm Elise Tan, and I'm your host for this episode of Hard Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I'm in the company of two thought leaders in the area of climate tech. I'm pleased to have Natalia Rialaki, founder of Fair Atmos, as well as my colleague and partner in investment, Kuyen Leong. Kuyen also led the round for Fair Atmos. Hi, Ria. Hi, Kuyen. Hi, Elise. How are you? Hi, Kuyen. Hi, hi. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking time for this show. So we are also celebrating International Women's Day with this podcast. We are going to have a three-way conversation talking about climate, life, family, and work. So first of all, let me introduce Ria. So I mentioned that Ria founded Fair Atmos. She brings with her more than 10 years of experience leading projects in the area of sustainability across agriculture and climate. You must learn, know a lot in climate. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. I'm learning every day, and I guess um, learning with Puyen makes it much more fun. I'm also a mom of two. I mean, three if you count my husband too as well. So, <laughs> so uh, and four with the startup. So um, I'm I'm very uh, privileged with all the love that I get. Puyen and myself are mothers as well. So I have a young uh, daughter, and then for Puyen, she has two. Bia, you know, why don't you tell us more about uh, Fair Atmos? actually maybe let's go from the start it was um two years ago when i was actually my job was onboarding farmers to use a digital platform right uh when most of the farmers there really complains about you know the failure in crops harvest because of weather extremities when it was supposed to rain it didn't rain when it didn't supposed to rain it rained really hard they don't say it but it's apparent for me that it's really really the impact of climate change and they're very vulnerable. They don't have any resources to adapt, to mitigate or prevent the future, right? And again, because it was early 2021, uh, right? All the talks about climate funds, um, the world is putting more than $600 billion to really combat and, and do climate action, right? I felt like there's a big discrepancies where all of these resources, I felt, did not really um, got received to the ground, right, to the communities and the smallholders who really need to adapt and help mitigate. Because to be honest with you, agriculture also produce a lot of greenhouse gases that causes climate change in the first place as well, right? So these kind of discrepancies really create a big question for me. How can we reach this? Uh, and what is also the role of technology? Because I really enjoy uh, my experience in running startups and running technology companies, right? We have gone so far with what we can do with technology. So that's the entire thesis of um, Fair Atmos. How do we create, how do you use technology to make a market, a climate carbon market that is inclusive for everyone? So together with Puyen, actually, a lot of the ideation that we uh, do to build Fair Atmos um, really comes from talking to a lot of people, a lot of climate experts as well in the space, right? Basically, we believe that Fair Atmos plays the best role to become the carbon credit marketplace in order to connect communities, smallholders, asset owners, in order to create carbon-absorbing projects connected to companies who would like to offset 
and finance such projects. We have been um, to almost like a year running now with around 20 people. We have worked with over 60 organizations across Indonesia, foundations, NGOs, um, provincial governments, uh, communities, companies who have more than 1.3 million um, hectares of forestry uh, and lands, including mangroves in Indonesia. We're very proud uh, that our platform really get a lot of um, traction because it seems like a lot of people want to get involved. Um, so a lot of our um, technology really helped to speed up the certification, the verification of uh, carbon projects. Uh, the intention is for us to grow much faster, much bigger um, together uh, with Vertex and all of our partners as well. It's definitely very exciting. And this is our very first climate tech investment. We are really excited to see how we can be you know, part of the solution towards achieving net zero. So I'm going to step back and ask both of you, you know, how did you know, our collaboration and all that comes about? Uh, actually, we're already known entities because we are used to work with one of our popular companies. Uh, but I think uh, I didn't have the privilege of meeting her in person then. Uh, my Indonesia-based colleague Kush pings me when uh, I was in the midst of my maternity leave um, and said that, hey, uh, you know, Ria is starting something new and it's going to be in the direction of climate. Um, and actually, there was no agenda because at the time, um, I think you were maybe still just at the very early stage of your company formation, not much traction and maybe not even a business idea. So, But I was always open to a conversation. So we 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 decided to sort of, sort of figure out a meeting. And it's just to get to know each other in the space because the space is young. The space is developing. I think we as an ecosystem um, can do with more support for each other, mutual support for each other because everyone is still learning at the same time. Tell me more about what happened when you first uh, first time both of you met. I think the exciting part was not the first time when we met, but really? basically... If I can share a little bit, like why I really want also to work with um, Puyen. Um, so, um, as how fundraising process goes, right? Uh, you basically meet different partners. I was actually nine months pregnant <laughs> when I was uh, fundraising as well. When I was talking to Puyen as well, she just also had a baby, right? So, I guess we sort of understood each other. Um, that's why uh, we, we really want to support each other as well. And I think that's the cool thing about uh, Vertex Ventures. We have quite a high proportion of investors who are female. And uh, we realize female founders can be successful. And and this means that we need to surround ourselves with support network. Yeah, I think maybe just to add on, talking about the first impression is that when I was about to deliver, I was already kind of not very level-headed. But when I look at Ria, um, she was level-headed as a founder, as a leader, right? As investor, it was our job also to try to stress test and ask questions in different direction. What are your different strategy when you're faced with different direction, especially when the whole space is still so fluid from a regulatory standpoint, from a market demand standpoint. And I must say that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But I think even at that point, I could see that Ria was still very level-headed in the way she was going to problem solve. So it was it was really impressive. I mean, obviously, we are a typical Series A investor. So this is a company that is slightly earlier than our Swiss board. Um, but uh, we still place a lot of uh, emphasis on the founder profile, and this is a testament to that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thanks for sharing all this. But I would want to say that I don't know whether we are good role models for women because we are working during maternity. <laughs> <laughs> what is maternity? <laughs> yeah. So, 
Uh, Puyen, how do we develop the thesis for making investment into climate tech and particularly into farmers? Could you share? Yeah, so actually it was a long journey, right? So I, I uh, personally started being curious about the topic maybe in 2021. If we dial back 24 months up to 18 months ago, the whole space is just booming, but people were just throwing jargons into the market. ESG, sustainability, climate, and they actually they mean similar, but also different things. Um, so I uh, kind of took it upon myself to try to read into the space to try to compartmentalize and organize my thoughts because I'm a bit geeky that way. It cannot be just a conceptual idea. I need to understand and put, you know, have a good handle on the different concepts. And I kind of realized that in more advanced market, let's, let's just put it that way. So for example, US and Europe, when people think about climate, um, they would be talking about the next frontier technology. What is the carbon capture technology? A more efficient way to capture solar, you know, whatever turbine. But when I examine our Southeast Asia ecosystem, our deep tech ecosystem is still sort of developing, right? Definitely much more nascent than other developed markets. So then the question for myself is, is there no role for us to play? And I realized that there, there would be because uh, we also have our unique set of challenges where, you know, US and European solutions will not be able to tackle. So therefore, it's so easy after I met Rio and she talked about her idea because it checked those boxes, right? She's tapping onto something that is naturally rich in a part of the world, biodiversity. She's leveraging a combination of a simple digital workflow tool plus her own proprietary IP to give access to the farmers, give them a way to access the global and regional carbon markets. If we can provide more transparency, traceability, credibility to the whole system, and I think FAMS is in a good position to do that, then there's a lot of opportunity that can be tapped upon. So it's nascent. I think that there's a lot of work to be done, but the company is hopefully well positioned to make a real impact and also therefore capture some of these um, growing opportunities. I think maybe it's good to also talk about the compulsory carbon markets, you know, just to give an entire picture, you know, how developed it has been, and then uh, maybe sharing about the opportunity within the voluntary space and what FireMS is doing. So Ria, would you like to share more with us? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess in the overall context of carbon markets, yes, there are two types, right? Um, one is the compliance market, where it's heavily regulated. Um, typically, governments already um, ask a certain sector to have um, a cap on how much they can emit. So in order to meet that cap, they can do either tax or trade. And the entire compliance market is to trade um, that allowance, right? Countries in Europe and the U.S. are more mature uh, in implementing such regulation already. Meanwhile, in Southeast Asia, the countries are just starting, right? Some of them, Malaysia, um, I think Singapore as well, is looking more into the voluntary um, given there are still um, discussion on how we can actually also establish the compliance. Uh, meanwhile, Indonesia itself is also starting to and design the compliance uh, regulation first before they actually want to um, um, set up the entire compliance market ecosystem, right? So this is where we think the voluntary market is. What kind of infrastructure needs to be there? How do we help the project developers to even create the project, right? How do we help the companies to actually discover good projects and how do we help them to price what is a good carbon offset, right? That is both, you know, reward, giving them economic incentive, but also really trickle down towards carbon absorption and uh, impact, right? So this is the role what uh, Fair Atmos does. We see three main pain points. 
One, there is a very high technical barriers for the um, um, project developers, in this case, communities, smallholders, or asset owners who wants to get their project carbon credit certified. And certification is very important because we believe that, you know, the science needs to be proven, right? Second, they also have a high challenge on uh, actually acquiring financing um, to really change their mode of practice, right? So, for example, farmers, typically they just soak all their rice filled with water. If we want to ask them to change, to use water dripping, right, then how, who's going to finance it? And it's not going to be um, um, cheap, right? So... Uh, these two pain points is what uh, for Atmos trying to um, solve by our first product, which is providing a free and fast eligibility check, right? So then for, for you, smallholder farmers, um, and for you, communities who manage or do planting of a certain mangrove area, right? You can just upload a shapefile and we can tell you how much carbon stock is eligible there and whether you can be eligible for a carbon credit or not. Everything we do instantly, we do cut time from people who process it around 60 to 90 days to instantly um, uh, right now. And we're also giving it for free, right? Because we know if we want more people to get um, um, uh, to, to get involved, you need to make it very, very frictionless. So that's the first we want to help to have a tribe carbon market. And the second one is after the projects that are already eligible, we offer uh, a lot of traditional financing um, um, options, such as straight loans, equity, and we match them with um, funders who would like to do so. But we also help to figure out, design, create the financing that is very Indonesia or very Southeast Asia specific, that is able to provide the cash upfront, mitigate the risk of the project, but also provide the payback to the funders or the buyers in form of carbon credit. So then the interest of the funders, as well as the interest of the project owners is aligned, right? Where we are today is we already have very much advancement on financing and tech. How do we actually uh, use this and design the right tools um, to really advance uh, pro project developers into entering the carbon markets, but as well as also catering to the financiers and uh, the buyers needs as well, at least. What is the hard truth about building is this voluntary uh, carbon markets, you know, which is more nascent? Yeah, from my perspective. And I think, um, uh, you know, as an investor, we are cognizant of uh, certain risk in any investment that we make. The first would be the fact that our whole market is still nascent. I think the, the good thing is, um, fairness is definitely more the early movers in the space. But it also means that Rhea and her team carries the burden to open up the market, right? So whether it's talking to the farmers, educating the, you know, corporates or any other partners, this may be the first time they're exposed to the carbon credits market. So there may be some inherent inertia, right? Um, but um, that is maybe the price that we have to pay, right, to becoming one of the first movers. And I guess the flip side is actually the market opportunity is very obvious, right? Because there's a vast amount of biodiversity in our region. Um, so once the market is open up, there will be bound to be competition, right? It's not easy to do, but because the market is attractive, it's large, it's, the size of the price is huge, there will be uh, distraction, there will be competition along the way. And I think um, we will have to rely on Ria and her management team to stay focused and be level-headed when faced with those distractions. So these are my two... 
um, hard truths, like I guess here from an investor perspective. I think I, that's completely uh, true for you. And I guess if I can illustrate it a little bit more vividly, it's primarily on the in facing um, a very nascent industry with still uncertain regulations. As a founder, you have to think of the big picture and why you're doing it, right? So of course, it's very easy to give up. And when you face setbacks on things that you cannot control, such as regulation, right? If you go back to your why over and over again, you will find creative ways, right? On how you can still deliver the impact. So I guess it really you it really also forces me to really think about building this company in, in a non-linear way uh, with the hope that eventually things would fall um, together uh, at the right place at the right time. Yeah, you mentioned about impact. So I think beyond, you know, the whole uh, offsetting the carbon credits, what kind of economic or even social impact you would have on the farmers and other people that you're working with? Increase in income by changing agriculture to more sustainable practice is definitely one area. But a bigger um, proportion of impact in the entire nature-based solutions discussion uh, for climate action is actually how we can um, involve and engage communities to be the person who preserve the nature, who conserve the nature, right? So it's making them, for example, converting them from the one who's doing the logging to actually rewarding them and actually paying them, right? To do patrols and to do forest conservation or even build nurseries, right? So really giving them more economic opportunities in the entire regenerative um, um, economy, right? Yeah, I really love how your system is going to incentivize people to be able to take care of the environment. So that's just super cool. You mentioned about how, you know, building this in this nascent space is tough, but uh, you have to keep going back to your why. And I want to ask you, you know, has there been any memorable incident that actually helps to keep you going and help you to realize that you're on the right track? So the the most vivid one was the last um, luncheon sessions that we had with over um, 60 mangrove um, organizations in central Java. They said the crisis and COVID basically creates a lot of instability uh, for, for these communities who rely on CSR funds to really do planting, right? Uh, planting of, replanting of mangrove. Last year alone, there was a big, flood that happened because the mangrove um, um, coast as a last defense was actually very, very thin. Uh, so for for them, this is not a feel-good project. For them, it's actually about survivability, right? About being adaptive and defensible to like extreme um, weathers and really weathering down the impact of floods um, in their area, right? So now I didn't understand why they're very excited when we meet them, right? Because the promise of carbon markets or a sustainable market to do this is basically it becomes a new economy that runs on its own with matching between supply and demand. So then um, such activity of planting mangrove is another business for them to earn livelihood, not just like a CSR program. So for me, that was one of the more um, eye-opening um, experience. So no matter how hard the regulation changes on anything, we do believe that this is something that is very important um, and we're doing it for people who actually really need help um, and to actually survive. So yeah, I'm going to ask you a controversial question. So 
you may have heard of somewhere in the past, you know, uh, because the country is full of mines, uh, the government actually incentivized people to catch the mines and then pay them for it in order to get rid of the problem. But what happened is that people start to grow mouse and mice in their house. So, so I want to ask you, do you see incentivizing uh, the growth of mangrove and other, you know, uh, sustainable practices may actually create some kind of side effect? I do think there needs to be a balance between giving a reward, instant reward, compared to a sustainable one. Because I hear also there are some projects that are just because they want to get a certain um, grants, right? They actually uh, don't take care of the project um, longevity because they want to get another grant, right? But this is why I think the market solution is the right way is because in market fixes itself, right? So market improves. So, for example, they first know that, and I think this is what carbon market, ha- how carbon market has evolved in um, the US or Europe, where at first everybody just pouring and buying any types of credit, right? But then they know it becomes, you know, they just buy junk credits, right? Um, carbon credits that comes from project that is very short term, it's not even there anymore. It's questionable, but now a lot of criticism actually improves the quality of the project where the money is being flowed to. So that's why I believe a solution for any problem needs to be returned to a market system. Of course, there needs to be regulation, but um, as much as possible, leaving it towards supply and demand and allowing the feedback system to happen is the more sustainable way to create change and the more sustainable way to um, really uh, incentivize and create a more um, lasting uh, solutions to climate. Cool. And and I think it's a apt time to ask about what is the hard truth about being a mother, you know, working, either investing or running your own startup company. You want to share something and, and an advice for uh, future mothers and entrepreneurs? Yeah. I guess maybe the most, um, most pertinent one for me is that hours in a day is just not enough. Like, I, I don't know how I can describe it, but it sounds really cliche, but it's true. Right? Between um, making sure I deliver at work and between making sure that I spend a quality time at home and getting everything in order, then the day is gone. Right? So, it means that I need to be very prudent about how I spend my time um, I and be very efficient in the way I function whether at home or otherwise, right? Otherwise, otherwise, then it's a missed opportunity to get something else done. And I think that's all I don't have the luxury of, oh, you know, let's, let's just do this and that and randomly and let's just spontaneously do ABC. I think I'm sure, you know, I will have the opportunity again when uh, when um, maybe a couple of years have passed. But at the moment, um, I am laser focused in being very efficient in everything I do. That's maybe the hard truth here. I guess for me, the hard truth is like you can't have everything at the same time and you definitely can't do it alone, right? So right now, again, juggling um, two kids, uh, the company, uh, being a wife as well and still being a daughter to parents as well, right? Um, With whatever expectations there are in this world. I guess um, you just need to be very, you need to know why you choose to do the things that you want to to do, right? Like what Puyan said, if you can only do two things in a day, right? Three things in a day, make sure that that choice is going to be the one that's most meaningful for you or for your kids, right? I guess that's also the entire reason why I I even, and not 
started Faratmos at the first place because I had my first child. I really want to show him that if you want to get something done, you better get do it yourself. So then I left from um, advising role to be an operator. And, you know, with my second child, I start I started for Atmos was also the realization that a problem that is tough needs someone solving, right? And if no one started doing that, you should might as well be the first doing that, right? Because then there will be more solutions, more people who's going to be confident enough because they've seen you um, do it, right? So I guess this becomes the reason why I, I work and why I built for Atmos. So then what I'm spending time at for Atmos, it's not like I'm being more away from my kids, but hopefully it's making me closer to my kids. You just also have to ask for help. I'm very lucky that I get a very, very supportive partner, very supportive family to to take care of um, the kids as well when I'm away. Uh, but on the times where I spend it, you really have to be there and make sure it's, you know, time worth spending. And I guess the last one is also about nothing in this world is easy. Everything is hard. Like being a, a, a housewife is hard. Being working woman is hard. Being just a person going through their day is hard, right? So choose your heart, right? And make sure that... See, choose your poisons. <laughs> yeah, choose your poison, right? Yeah, just make sure that's the one that, you know, worth your life upon. So. True. And, you know, someone has said that parenthood may us prioritize better. It makes us realize and think about uh, how can we be a role model for our children. Now, I'm going to switch track. Uh, I'm going to actually ask... Uh, besides um, this area that we have invested in, what other areas would be interesting to invest in in your, in your perspective? Yeah, so hopefully in five years' time, climate is no longer a genre by itself. It should be hopefully embedded in the philosophy of all companies, right? Like, you know, five years ago, many startups come out and say that I'm an AI company, I'm a this company, I'm that company. But actually now, machine learning, uh, AI is embedded in many sort of tech companies, software tech companies. So it's no longer just a genre. It's all of hopefully climate in five, three to five years time is, and sustainability is sort of concept that's embedded in every startup, right? But I would say that actually there are many areas I think that needs um, attention. So um, mobility is one of them. I used to work in Indonesia sort of, I think, 10 years ago now. Um, and when I visited two days ago, um, and uh, the traffic is significantly better. Part of it is thanks to the innovation and the mobility space that has happened in the past 10 years, right? So, but there's still a lot to be done. And then, of course, there's angry, right? There is the supply chain part. There could be the input-output part. There are many things to solve. Then, of course, urbanization is actually not stopping, especially in our region. We're still actually not really urbanized. But we're getting more and more urbanized. And therefore, we use more aircon. We use more electricity. So the whole built environment is another aspect, I think there could be some innovation on. And then this go on and on, right? Industrial and manufacturing, there's of course a whole genre of renewable energy. And I think there's a lot to chew on and, and there will bound to be um, hopefully good um, amount of innovations, whether it's business model innovation or technological advances that will come out from a part of the world and then we'll be there to back them when it happens. And I really feel like we are at the be the beginning of a new era and uh, this is a good start. I think one, one question that I didn't manage to ask you, Ria, is uh, how does uh, Fat Amos make money and what do you think is the secret sauce that you, or the mood that you will eventually have? 
the way we create a sustainable business out of Fire Atmos is really to make it in line with the impact that we're delivering, right? We see Fire Atmos as connecting two sides of the market, right? The, pro- the developers and the um, demand of the companies. On the supply side, on the project developer side, we basically uh, do um, some um, revenue or profit share model of with the projects that we help to successfully uh, certify the credit. So that's on the supply side. Meanwhile, on the demand side, we can really help the companies to discover uh, high quality um, projects by charging like typical marketplace platform fee on any of the offsets that is going to be um, um, incurred in our platform, at least. We got it very clear. And uh, we're coming to the last part of our um, conversation. So since I mentioned that, you know, we are honoring International Women's Day with this podcast, I would like to invite both of you as well to give pieces of advice uh, for female founders or people who aspire to be one. It is actually well reported that um, women um, somehow apply for 20% fewer jobs than men, um, despite similar job search criteria or qualifications. It's also well reported that female professionals apply for jobs only if they feel that they're 100% qualified. But I, I think when you are in an innovation space, you are actually creating the opportunity yourself. So if you have an inclination as a problem to solve, be like Rhea, right? Like, you, you know, if no one else is solving the problem, take the leap of faith and um, not wait for all the stars to be aligned um, to, to take the first step. That is, to be honest, really easier said than done, um, even for myself in my own area of work. But um, be sort of that catalyst, if you may, um, for the change that you want to see. Um, and I, I guess um, always lean on mentors, formal and informal, speak to as many people as possible and um, try and lead what is the best path forward for, you, for yourself um, and iterate quickly. And find the right like-minded people to support you, whether it's investors or partners and clients. But I have, in general, a lot of respect for any founders, male or female, because it's it, it really takes a lot um, to be a leader, to take something from nothing to a potential unicorn status. It takes a lot out of yourself. There will be moments of self-doubt. You know, people will throw all sorts of you know nonsense at you, and um, it really takes a lot of grit, a lot of optimism, and maybe a sense of humor sometimes to sort of put it through. So I, I salute all founders, male and female. Yeah, it's very true. I think entrepreneurship really pushes you to your limits. And uh, these days, you know, we talk a lot about mental health as well, uh, because it takes so much grit. It takes so, so much for you to be always on top of your game. You know, it's important to have support network. And I think that it's time that we kind of remove that stigma because we do need that kind of uh, men- mental exercise or even just conversation with somebody who is specialized to hear us out and uh, find out, you know, what other areas do we want to optimize as, you know, even humans, be, like as uh, normal humans. So, so going back to you, Ria, you know, what advice would you like to share? Maybe I'll, I'll share a little bit of my personal journey when I'm, you know, just just started um, um, working and really discovering my place in this in this whole world, right? I guess I was always in a state of telling myself that I'm not very good at things. Like, for example, when I just graduated, um, I don't think I'm good at math. And then, so I shy away for anything that 
has math in it, right? And then I don't think I'm very good in like um, talking to people or like I don't think I'm the best person to negotiate things or something like that. That kind of limitation really puts you in a box um, and make you feel like you only belong in one place, right? Uh, that is very small that you can only do one thing. Uh, but I guess um, the biggest realization uh, that makes me break that actually having a very strong circle of friends and trust, and in this case, actually, it's my husband, <laughs> who believes that you can do many things and, and, and allowing yourself to try and see if you can do it, right? So I guess through my journey at uh, when I was pursuing my MBA, I tried, you know, the most math-related job that I could get, which is actually uh, joining a private equity. I, I also actually, uh, I tried um, working with a very early-stage startup at the uh, time, right? Really thinking, you know, I have always been an advisor. Can I actually really operate, you know, really breaking that barriers and boundaries that you put in yourself that you said that you are inadequate. When you are the one who's limiting yourself, you basically can't, you know, even do anything. But when you are already telling yourself that um, dream big, the opportunities and the possibilities is actually infinite, right? And you are here basically to become a channel of change and a channel of impact, right? I love that you mentioned about not setting limits because I think, you know, as females and being in Asia, I think there are lots of limits that we actually subconsciously or even consciously put on ourselves. Yeah, and, and you also mentioned about, you know, how you actually question your own negative thinking. And sometimes you just have to do that. Like when we, we think about uh, we are bad at something, then measure it, you know, because in life, it all is relative. So if you are bad and actually how bad are you? And, and if you think of the other ways, actually, how good are you? You know, where are you on the whole scheme of things, the, the, net, the normal curve? And then my last question to you is actually, I want to hear about, you know, how has been your childhood? What was it like growing up? Because I think it has a lot to do with um, how it shaped you as a person. It definitely did a lot to do who I am <laughs> today. I, I grew up in a very competitive um, um, siblings rivalry because uh, I am the third child out of four siblings. And I grew up in a family that is very, very patriarchy. Uh, and there, um, in our culture, you know, men gets to do everything. Uh, so then I grew up in a mode of really proving I can do things as well, right? <laughs> uh, like, for instance, like um, choices about what school you go to. Do you go abroad or do you stay here? Basically, um, the family thought, you know, women should stay closer to the family. That's why, you know, you don't get opportunities or less opportunities um, to, to study abroad. Uh, so these kind of instances all built me, you know, in a mindset that uh, one, I can prove myself or I need to prove myself. But to also give me the mindset of nothing to lose. But, you know, so when you press, when you push further, worst case, you'll fall back where you were supposed to be, right? So I guess that goes a long way into shaping um, myself that is really, you know, wanting to push boundaries, testing a lot of things, um, also asking why things are the way they are. Uh, and I'm just very lucky is kind of, you know, upbringing actually shapes me to be really upfront with problems and really wanting to test uh, and, and, and discover new things. So I'm actually very glad. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. You sound really, um, you sound like someone who is very optimistic and someone who is really not afraid to challenge the boundaries. And I know that all these are ingredients made to be a great founder. 
I would like to ask Puyin as well to share where she came from and how did it shape her and maybe some kind of hard truth or advice for uh, female in general. It didn't have to be female founders. My background is quite different. I, I'm the only child and uh, I grew up in a very humble uh, working class family, right? My parents, though, gave me what, what they could. They made a very bold decision to move from Hong Kong to Singapore uh, to give me a better life. I think that was a life-changing decision for me. It's a typical, I suppose, immigrant story. I have gone through the Singapore education system. It equalized a lot of things because over here, if you do well, it doesn't really matter what background you come from, you have equal opportunity. And I think looking back, um, it's really credits to my parents who have made that bold move because they could start to lose everything. You know, by the time they're already not young and they really don't have anything else except optimism and hope, right? But I guess also what she mean would be uh, my current family support system, obviously including my husband. I was posted overseas for a while in my previous role. Um, in my current role, you know, sometimes I travel and but regardless, the intensity varies, right? So, but I, I do know that um, whenever I, I am not going to be around, like, I know that things are taken care of. So I, I feel very, very fortunate. I think maybe what I would hope is that um, to be able to show my two sons that actually, you know, men and women have equal role to play at home and professionally. Um, I want to show that it, despite whatever background you come from, you can get equal opportunity if you do well and have the right attitude. I feel very blessed uh, to be given all the opportunities so far professionally. I feel very encouraged by what both of you have shared. Uh, so thank you so much. And I really enjoy our conversation. So we have uh, come to the end of it. Yeah, so thank you so much, Ria and Fian. Thanks so much, Ria, for spending time with us. Uh, thanks, Elise, for your very pertinent question. And uh, for teasing out maybe our most uh, deepest insecurity as part of this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it's, it's worth a conversation and hopefully it's uh, meaningful to the audience as well. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Elise and Puyen. I felt very enlightened as well, knowing your story. Puyen, I, I wish we can also hear from you, Elise. But I guess um, I, I, I really hope, you know, whatever we shared here can really um, reach out to more women founders uh, and founders alike and, and well, you know, it can be um, an ammunition for us to have more women founders to come. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. You never know, you know, like one word that you mentioned could inspire somebody else. Yeah. So that's what I realized is the, you know, impact of what we put out into the world. So thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.